Welcome to another special edition of the Defenders of Business Value podcast. Um, on today's show, I have uh, two guys that have a ton of information that'll help you as small business owners get the capital you need uh, to, to just get past this uh, this coronavirus. Um, the first guy, Eric Armacost, he is the lead lender relations specialist with the Small Business Administration, and David Watkins, he is Indiana's acting state director of the Small Business Development Center, and both of these guys are loaded with with where to go, how to go, and when to go. So I hope you find this information helpful, and if, like always, if there's anything that we can do on our end, do let us know. Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now here's your host, Ed Misogland. Good morning. Um, this is Ed Misogland, managing partner of Indiana Business Advisors, where we help um, small and mid-sized business buyers and sellers. Um, today, you know, there's probably no greater time in, in probably most of our lives where we need the small business administration to come alongside small business to, to help them through this crisis, this, uh, this coronavirus mess that we're, we find ourselves in. So today we have Eric Armacost. He is the lead lender relations specialist um, of the Small Business Administration. And David Watkins is the acting state director of the Indiana Small Business Development Center. So those guys are going to come on and we're going to talk through um, what's available for small businesses to help them survive. And then once they get through that, how, how do they take those next steps? So couple housekeeping items. This is being recorded in two places. One, we will make the the entire webinar presentation available. And number two, it's being recorded for our podcast, Defenders of Business Value, and it too will be pushed out later today. So Eric, why don't you go first and give a, a brief introduction of you and, and how you're going to help us get out of this? <laughs> well, uh, good morning, Ed. Um, thank you very much for having me on this morning, and thanks everybody for, for dialing in this morning. If I could have the next slide, please. So, um, as Ed mentioned, my name is Eric Armacost, and I'm the Lead Lender Relations Specialist for the United States Small Business Administration here in the Indiana District Office. Um, the Small Business Administration, or SBA, is a cabinet-level agency of the U.S. federal government. Um, so, up until about a week and a half ago, I and my team spent about 90% of our time working with commercial bankers and, and business bankers to help them use SBA's core loan programs, the SBA 7A and 504 programs, to, to help them use those programs to make loans available or make capital available, where otherwise it would not be for small businesses in the state of Indiana. Um, so, like you, we're also learning about SBA's disaster response. We spent the last week and a half ramping up um, to the greatest extent possible. I mean, I'm, I'm here today to talk with you about the resources that are currently available. Um, and I know that everybody has a lot of questions about proposed legislation that's, that's underway right now. And I understand that the, that the uh, CARES Act or the, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act has passed the Senate. But to be clear, that that's passed the Senate. It still has to get past the, the, the House of Representatives and be approved by the president. And, and none of that's happened yet. So that's all still in the works. I mean, I have, I have some questions just like you do about what's actually going to come down. 
Uh, I can't really speculate on those things that are not in, in, in force currently or not available currently, but I'll, I'll be definitely discussing what options are available and what resources are available right now. Next slide, please. So right now, um, as a small business owner in the state of Indiana, you can apply for the Economic Entry Disaster Loan. That's a direct loan from the United States Small Business Administration. Um, there are some eligibility uh, factors that come into that, into that, but I will say that a lot of those criteria have been relaxed. Um, if you've not already applied for the uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan or that they're short or shorthand or the, the term of art used as idle loan, if you've not already applied for an idle loan, I strongly um, encourage you to do so as a small business owner, even if you're not 100% sure that you're going to need capital now. We don't know when this crisis is going to be resolved and the application process is going to take some time. As you might imagine, there are a number of folks that are interested in getting support. And what, what shape that takes, what form that takes, and the timing of that are still very much in question. I would encourage you to go ahead and start this application process. You can always decline to accept the, the funds later down the road if you have a better option that becomes available, or you discover that you don't need to take out a loan for your, for your business um, down the road. Next slide, please. Okay, so um, the economic injury disaster loan um, is a loan. So there is a credit history um, aspect of this. Uh, I can't tell you exactly what the credit criteria that, that, that the um, Office of Disaster Assistance is examining when they're offering these loans, but I can tell you that the uh, credit approval um, level is lower than conventional lending standards. Um, there does have to be, however, the uh, reasonable expectation of repayment of the loan. And as a borrower, you'll have to meet um, certain eligibility criteria. Now, unlike our core loan programs, in this case, it does include some larger businesses, and it does include a, a number of nonprofits. So, um, again, if, if you have an organization and you're not sure that you're eligible, the eligibility or questioning application process is not um, incredibly difficult. If there's a question about your eligibility, I would encourage you to apply. It won't take you that long to apply, and at least you'll be in, in the queue to be considered for funding it down, down the road. Next slide, please. So how much can you borrow under the idle loan or the economic aid or disaster loan? The maximum approval amount is up to $2 million. Um, so, so really not everybody's going to qualify for that. There has to be, again, the reasonable expectation of payment for this loan program. But the maximum approvable amount under this one program is $2 million. Interest rates for um, for-profit concerns um, are is 3.75. And for nonprofit organizations, it's 2.75. And these loans can be approved for up to 30 years. So if the 30-year term at a relatively low interest rate, for the most part, those payments are very reasonable. And in fact, the terms are typically set based on your historical ability to repay loans and will be considered um, on a transaction by transaction basis. The other thing I want to point out is I've got a lot of questions from applicants who have said, well, I've applied. There was never a place where they asked me how much I wanted to borrow. Um, and that's because essentially the, the, the underwriters are treating this now somewhat like a credit card application in the sense that they're, they're going to approve you for the max amount that, that, that you can be approved for. And, and then you can simply decline to accept the full amount if you want less than that. So if you want the full amount, you take the full amount. If you want less than the full amount that you're approved for, you are welcome to take less than that. Um, and the other question I get is, well, can I use this to refinance my existing debt? And the answer is mostly no. So if you have an existing loan that maybe has less than favorable terms, you know, maybe you should reconsider that refinancing um, that loan, but that won't happen with the economic injury disaster loan. These loans are meant to be used to help you with your short-term cash flow needs. So if you have uh, payments you need to make on a loan, yes, we can use that. If you have payroll, yep, accounts payable, yep. But refinancing debt or buying new capital equipment is a no. So again, working capital and current payments. Next slide, please. 
So what are the collateral requirements? So a couple of things I'm going to go into, go into on this. Number one, um, essentially for any loan over $25,000, the SBA is going to seek whatever collateral is available until the loan is fully secured. And that's going to mean all the fixed assets of your business, any trading assets of your business, and if there's still a collateral shortfall compared to the uh, loan amount that you're borrowing, they're going to look for personal assets to secure that. Typically, that is a first, second, twelfth lien on your on your personal real estate. Um, so, the other part of this is that if there's not collateral available, there are there are several businesses that we support that are that they don't have a lot of fixed assets. One that comes immediately to mind, or um, like an insurance practice, or even a medical practice that's renting a facility instead of owning. You know, there's there's tremendous intellectual property there, but but there's not fixed assets there collateralized. A big collateral shortfall is not a reason that you'll be declined for application. Next slide, please. So what kinds of businesses can apply? As I alluded to before, it's basically everybody at this point. Um, the, the S and SBA does stand for small. Um, and so there's a size standard that's applied um, that's currently under review. Again, that's, that's speculative. We don't know exactly where that'll wash out. Right now, the standard is you know, basically driven by your North American Industrial Classification System Code, your NAX code. Um, for the most part, um, I think it's something like 94% of the businesses in the state of Indiana qualify for SBA support. But if you're a large concern, you probably have a fairly good idea of what that is. I would encourage you to go to sba.gov slash size, enter your North American Industrial Classification System Code, and there's actually a searchable database that'll tell you what standards apply to your particular industry, and you can see if your organization meets those standards or not. Um, so the next bullet point in this slide is kind of not applicable because typically disasters happen in a constrained geographical area. In this case, this this um, pandemic affects the entire country, so we can we can skip that bullet point. Next slide, please. So the other question that gets, well, what banks can I go to to get this loan? And the answer is you don't. The, um, the economic injury disaster loan program, and again, there's there's this is one facet of the, of the response to this outbreak, but this, this specific program is a direct loan directly from the SBA. To apply, you simply use your favorite web browser and go to disasterloan.sba.gov. I've also discovered if you use your web browser and just search direct SBA disaster loan, your search results will include the, the application portal. Um, there's also a, a ton more information about this program and other programs that the SBA offers on our website. A couple other points to, to, to raise here. Um, is that there's no SBA fees involved with these economic in, in, um, injury um, oh, oh my goodness, economic injury uh, disaster loans. So, so there's there's no SBA um, fees involved in this. However, if we are using real estate and there and there's the need to you know file a lien, there's going to be a lien filing charge, or if there's some other third party fee that comes into the underwriting of the of the loan, there will be third party fees. They're not used to enrich the SBA programs at all. They're simply used to offset the cost of actually putting the loan in place. So just transaction costs. Um, there's also no obligation, as I mentioned before, if you're approved for this loan and you discover that either you don't need the loan or there's a better program that's been rolled out since you applied, you're, you're welcome to decline this loan and move on to the next thing. Um, in terms of collateralization, if you have a loan amount of $25,000 or less, there won't be the need for um, collateral. You can always offer it, obviously, um, but, but at twenty five dollars or less, you won't necessarily need to provide any. Um, so if you have an existing disaster loan, which, of course, unfortunately, Indiana experienced um, some some um, Unfavorable weather, particularly for folks in the agricultural industry, um, and then that caused some issues. There's also the flooding and some other um, weather-related um, disasters that were enforced prior to the coronavirus outbreak. Having that disaster loan um, does not make you ineligible for the economic injury disaster loan. In fact, you're totally eligible. Uh, so, these, so the other, um, go ahead, next slide, please. 
The other question that comes into play with respect to collateralization or securitization is personal guarantee. And the short answer is yes, there is personal guarantee required for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. And again, I know that there's speculation that there's going to be the elimination of a personal guarantee on some loan programs that's not enacted yet and does not apply to this loan program. So if you're a 20% or more owner of your business, a personal guarantee is going to be required. Um, so the basic filing forms, and again, this information is available at disasterloan.sba.gov, but, but essentially um, there, there's just a very truncated underwriting package that has to be submitted on that portal that discuss, discuss disasterloans.sba.gov. You'll discover that this, there's an SBA Form 5, and that form is generally for um, LLCs, corporations. If you have an S-Corp or a single-member single member LLC, there's a supplemental form called a Form 5C, and that's actually the form that you're going to use that's spelled out on the website. And essentially, you'll also notice that some of these documents appear to apply more for individuals. Please keep in mind that the disaster assistance programs are meant to, to cover businesses and individuals both. So if, you, if there's a hurricane, the SBA supports business owners, as, as we do in our corporate loan programs, but also homeowners whose homes have been destroyed. So some of the documentation can be applied to either you know single member LLCs, sole proprietorships, or in the case of other disasters, not the one we're in, but other disasters, can be applied to individuals. So the other thing that I need to point out is that there is going to be a uh, verification process with the IRS. Um, there's IRS Form 45060 that has to be completed and submitted so we can verify the uh, tax information we have is true and accurate. I will, I will be fair and say that the IRS has been overwhelmed with these applications. <clears throat> so there is a little slowdown um, at the IRS getting the tax transfers back, and that, that is a short choke point in the current application process. We're working with them to help them streamline their process and helping to kind of get that um, speeded up as, to the greatest extent possible currently. And we will need your um, last year's tax returns. If you haven't filed 19, what we'll need is your 2018s plus interim financials. Your schedule of liability will be reported on SBA Form 2202. This, in fact, is just sort of a, lays out your, your current obligations and, and will spell out your total total liabilities and then your monthly obligations. And then a personal financial statement, which is essentially a personal balance sheet, which lists your personal assets and liabilities. Um, for your particular um, request, there may be additional documentation that's re that requested, but this is the core information that's going to be required. Um, this can be submitted in two ways, um, or actually really three ways. Essentially, the, the portal that's there, um, the disaster on um, you will fill out an electronic version of these documents, and then they are uploaded directly there. That's one method. You can also email these to the Disaster Loan Customer Service Center. Again, their website's on, on, on their web, or correction, their email address is on their website. It's disasterloans.sba.gov. Or you can mail them into the uh, Disaster Loan Center. The address is given later in this slide deck in Fort Worth. Next slide, please. So um, additional filing information that may be requested um, is, is if you have a very thick tax return, um, again, you're going to need schedules and that sort of thing. You have to be able to to verify if you're asking for $2 million that your you know, sort of normal operations, your normal business operations would lead to that sort of um, profit, that, 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 that sort of revenue, that's to substantiate the request by looking at your historical cash flow, essentially. Um, so in some cases, too, we'll, we'll require us to be a form 1368. This is your monthly sales figures. Again, this goes back to substantiation of um, your request. Next slide, please. So um, there are a couple of uh, business types that are not 
eligible for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. And there's a lot of confusion about this. I'll try to be as clear as I can on, on what we know at this point, what is eligible and what is not eligible, specifically um, farms. And in Indiana, that's a big deal. So, so there's a lot of small family, small family-owned farms that are um, hurting right now, just just like a lot, of, a lot of other small businesses. Unfortunately, they, they will not qualify for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program solely um, for their um, commodity production or their crop or, or livestock production operations. However, if they are a value-added producer, so if you're not just milking cows, you're making cheese, you're not just growing apples, you're making applesauce, if you're, if you're a value-added producer, and if you are, you'll know, um, then you would qualify for that aspect of your operation. So, so in poor farming, livestock, and, and grain production is not eligible, value-added producers are. Um, religious organizations are, are not are not eligible for support under the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. So um, we get a lot of questions on this. What if, what if it's a child care? And the, and the answer is maybe. I would suggest going ahead and applying. Um, so the core church operation would not be eligible, but affiliated operations with the church may be, depending on how that organization is structured. And the same is true for some charitable organizations. Although, um, just kind of briefly, I would say, most charitable organizations can qualify if they're 501c3s. We've seen more questions on um, charitable organizations that are structured as 501c6s. Um, also, no gambling concerns, as you might imagine, casinos and racetracks are also out. So, and, and I, this kind of goes without saying, but but anybody that's involved in any kind of illegal activity it won't be um, supported. So, in the in Indiana, it's not such a big deal, but in states where um, recreational or medicinal marijuana is legal in the state, it's still not legal federally. Those businesses are not eligible for support through this program. Next slide, please. So I've alluded to this a couple times. Again, the, the way you apply for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan is to uh, visit the website, disasterloan.sba.gov. The slash ELA that's on this particular page um, goes directly to um, the page where they discuss not just what the programs are and how to get the documentation, but actually goes to the application portal. Um, you can also download paper forms and mail them to the um, one nine, or question 14925 Kingsport Road, Fort Worth, Texas address that's listed on the slide. Um, I also want to point out, I tried to do this earlier, um, any place in this slide deck where you see blue text that's underlined, that's a hyperlink. If you click on that, when you when first Mac, the slides emailed out to you, if you click on that um, hyperlink, it'll actually navigate you directly to that additional resource. So it's uh, just something handy to have there. Um, in addition, I've tried to answer a lot of the questions that I can, and I'll continue to answer questions as we go live in the Q&A section. I can assure you I'm not going to know the answer to every question. So, so there is a customer service center that focuses solely on the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. So if you've got a question about you know, your specific application or um, where your application is in the process, that sort of thing, I can't help you with that. I have to encourage you to call the customer service center, and they could probably shed some more light on that. Uh, next slide, please. So um, I'm getting ready to tee up uh, my partner, David Watkins, who's the interim state director for the Indiana Small Business Development Center. The Small Business Development Center um, works hand-in-hand -hand with the U.S. Small Business Administration to deliver um, counseling services to small businesses in the state of Indiana. Um, I will say that we rely on them heavily to execute the non-financial aspect of our mission. Um, and with that, I will be turning it over to David. Thanks, Eric. Uh, appreciate it and uh, happy to uh, chat with everybody very briefly here about the uh, Indiana Small Business Development Center. Um, so the, as Eric mentioned, the Indiana Small Business Development Center are what we call uh, the SBDC. 
um, is actually a nationwide program. There are uh, 64 SBDCs across the country, um, and uh, it is a partnership between the SBA at the federal level and the state of Indiana through the Indiana Economic Development Corporation to focus explicitly on small business economic development activities. Uh, we primarily do that through technical assistance programs. Uh, we've been in existence since 1984 here in Indiana. Um, and uh, most of the time, uh, when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, our services revolve around uh, things like business planning and uh, even valuation and exporting assistance. Here in Indiana, we have 10 regional offices, which uh, you can see on the slide, um, each of these regional offices covers the, the, the counties that make up their region. Um, each one is uh, hosted by a uh, higher ed institution. Um, so, for example, in Fort Wayne, our office is hosted by Purdue Fort Wayne. Uh, in Indianapolis, in the central region, our office is hosted by Butler University. Um, and, and across the, the state, except in Evansville, where we're hosted by the uh, Southwest Regional Chamber. Uh, each of these offices employs a team of what we call business advisors, um, and those business advisors are uh, typically uh, former business owners, uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs themselves, experts in a given area um, who help uh, both entrepreneurs and small businesses across the state. And as Eric mentioned, uh, small business is basically Indiana business. So uh, the exact number, last I saw it from the SBA actually, was 99.4% uh, of the businesses in the state of Indiana are small by SBA's definition. So when Eric is talking about um, small businesses being the uh, um, uh, having the economic injury disaster loan available to small businesses, that's, that's what he means, 99.4% of the businesses in the state of Indiana. Um, so as I said, normally we are uh, uh, focused, the Indiana SBDC is focused on helping people uh, start their business, grow their business. We're doing business plan development, um, helping manufacturers uh, grow by identifying new markets and customers, running market research reports. Uh, we work a lot with our lenders and with the SBA office here to help with uh, financial packaging and lender support, um, and then also exporting and, and importing. You can go to the next slide. So in a uh, disaster situation, as Eric mentioned, normally disaster declarations involve natural disasters, things like um, tornadoes, hurricanes. Uh, in Indiana's case, we, we actually have a couple active disaster zones uh, for flooding um, and, and people that have been able to uh, uh, get access to assistance because of the flooding. Uh, and the SBDC, as, as a virtue of our relationship and our partnership with the SBA at the federal level, uh, we are called on to help in those disaster declarations, help small businesses kind of doing what we normally do, but with a specific focus on disaster planning, business resiliency, helping them access um, things like the economic injury disaster loan, other funding sources as we um, can uh, uh, identify them. And then at the end of the day, really helping them uh, pivot their restaurant or, or their business or uh, adapt their manufacturing line to less workers or understand what their responsibilities are um, for uh, uh, allowing leave or what resources are available outside of um, federal funding options. And so, uh, as for COVID-19 explicitly, um, in this current pandemic, we have uh, rolled out a number of different things 
um, to, to help uh, the businesses, small businesses of Indiana. I'm the first. And again, like Eric said, these are hyperlinks. So when you get the slide deck, you can click on these. The first is our um, isbdc.org page, um, Indiana COVID-19 Small Business. This page, we've been trying to be very, very discerning. There are a lot of resource pages out there right now. Um, and uh, I don't know if you're like me, but some of them can be rather overwhelming. When I open a web page and I see a list of 20 links, and I think, do I have to click on every single one of these um, to find the answer I'm looking for? And so um, we have tried to take a very, very discerning approach to listing um, the most relevant things to as many small businesses as possible. That doesn't that means that we don't have the answer for everything on that page, but um, we think that the that the information that we're providing there is is of high value. If you want to know whether your business is small or not, um, you can go to sba.gov/size. Uh, we have that link on our, our, our website. We've got the link to the um, economic injury disaster loan. We've got a link to uh, SBA's lender match program, which helps people find tr- traditional uh, SBA-backed funding, um, non-disaster funding. We've got a link to uh, local chambers of commerce and other financing that we have been able to uh, identify that uh, different banks and lenders have rolled out specific to their response to COVID-19. We have our resource guide, which you see a little screenshot of there um, that, that goes over uh, not only the economic injury disaster loan, it also goes other, over other funding options, um, has a, a section on uh, business insurance and uh, some questions, Q&A from the Indiana Department of Workforce Development uh, to go over um, unemployment insurance and, and other things that are impacting small businesses um, and their operations. We also have links to a, a series of webinars that kicks off next week that we're doing um, in coordination with uh, Generator, Generator and the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. Um, the uh, SBA district office is involved in that as well, as are some of our regional offices um, to go over, again, local resources, state resources, federal resources, but also to dive into some of the ways that our um, small businesses are adapting. You know, the most obvious one that, that people uh, can see and understand right away are some of our restaurants. They're having to switch to solely takeout and delivery. Um, maybe they weren't doing takeout and delivery before. Or maybe it wasn't as big a part of their business, and now they're needing to do it to survive. Um, we're having conversations with those type of businesses and others about how they can adapt their operations, find areas to collaborate with other businesses, find resources to help them survive, um, and identify areas where they can uh, 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 smartly and humanely cut back so that they can um, save as much cash flow as possible. Um, as as Eric mentioned, we have been helping a lot of people with the economic injury disaster loan. Probably, I mean, I, I'm hundreds of, of businesses, um, and that's via uh, webinars like this, um, walkthroughs, video walkthroughs. We have a, a, a guide from the SBA, actually, that is a, a, a um, uh, step-by-step on how to apply for this loan. Um, we've been doing a lot helping people with the documentation. Uh, obviously, there are the forms and, and you know, y- y- you all know your name, your social security number and the address of your business. But when it comes to projections or schedule liabilities or a P&L statement or um, trying to get an idea of what your economic injury might be from, say, the end of January to the end of June, um, that's where we have been uh, helping people put together those financial statements, understand what the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has been on their business to date and what it might be over the next couple months, um, because that's an important part of uh, uh, the SBA's analysis in terms of how much funding uh, someone could be 
uh, able to claim through the economic injury disaster loan. So we've been helping people um, with that process. And and to Eric's point, you know, I would say that on average, it's taking about an hour and a half to two hours um, for for the clients that we're working with to um, complete the application. Now it's changed a little bit in that you fill out the forms and upload or email them versus the the online um, uh, fill out as you go. But I would still say it, it, if you have all of your documentation together, it goes a bit quicker. Um, one of the, the the best tips I can give people is get the documentation together ahead of time. Eric's slides can contain all of the documents that you know you're going to need. You can download them, fill them out, but make sure that you have those required documentation. One, it makes the application go quicker. And two, when the SBA loan officer reaches out, every time they reach out, it just delays the processing and funding more. So if they say, oh, we didn't have this document, please send it. Oh, we don't have this document, please send it. Oh, we don't have this document. It just becomes this back and forth. So as much as you can provide up front, that makes that loan officer's job way easier to get that loan out the door. Um, and then the last thing that we're, we're helping people on uh, is resiliency and recovery planning. Um, so, you know, we're hopeful at the Indiana SBDC that, um, you know, come August when they've rescheduled the Indy 500, everybody will be um, uh, uh, back to a somewhat semblance of, of uh, normalcy. And um, our hope is that we can help this, our small businesses get through this current period and, and on to the next period. Um, as Eric mentioned, there's a lot of legislation and questions and, and how do I get this? How do I get that flying around at the moment? And, and as of today, everything that we've presented is 100% accurate. As of today at 9.28 a.m., I should say, because um, whenever the the uh, House of Representatives starts voting and, and we all kind of know eighth grade civics here, right? Both houses of, of uh, uh, Congress have to pass a, a bill and then it has to get to the president's desk for signature. And then everybody at the federal level, all the bureaucracy kind of um, starts analyzing and understanding what their responsibilities are and how they're supposed to be helping small businesses. That doesn't happen overnight. Um, and so as much as we would uh, love to help people get connected to, you know, some of the, the new programs that albeit are, I'm excited for uh, potentially coming into be uh, into being via this legislation. They're not there yet. We can't. There's no answer. I don't have any answer for people as to how they can go, um, you know, for this new loan program because it doesn't exist. It, it right now it exists on a piece of paper um, in a congressman or congresswoman's office. Um, so we're trying to help distill that information down for as many small businesses as we can. Um, next slide. I think we're on to the Q&A. OK, um, well, I'll uh, I'll I'll moderate the, the questions and answers. We, we have a, a slew of them in the chat as well as uh, email, but I'll go through this one. Um, so what's the difference between SBA loans and the federal bill and grant money available to to float payroll and operations? Are these loans forgiven or not? This is Eric. I'll take that one. Long story short, right now, the, the same SBA loan programs that were in place pre-crisis are in place and currently available, with one exception. We've um, enabled our SBA Express lenders to be able to offer what's called an SBA Express bridge loan. So, in fact, what that bridge loan is designed to do is to help provide short-term gap financing between the current need and the long-term belief that we're hoping is going to be enacted shortly. As David alluded to, there is a tremendous amount of speculation about forgivable loans and grants and low interest rate loans and 100% guaranteed loans. And we have the same questions you do in, in terms of, well, when's that going to be available? It's really up to Congress at this point to, to take that theory and bring it into law. 
Um, so we don't have anything right now with the forgivable loan aspect. We don't have any grants right now. Right now we have the, the, the products we had pre-crisis with some slight enhancements and the available of gap financing. And in fact, we're encouraging our banks, credit unions, and other mission-focused lenders to make bridge financing with or without us um, right now. And those, those funds can then be later refinanced with um, SBA-supported funding. Okay. If I uh, do not have any workers at this time, how can I qualify for the loan program? Does this apply to part-time workers? So I think you're talking about the uh, payroll protection uh, plan that's that's currently, again, in theory, not in practice. Mm-hmm. They um, would absolutely qualify for economic injury disaster loan funding. They would absolutely qualify for gap financing from their lender. They would absolutely qualify for um, conventional or lending from a, from a lender or SBA-supported loans to the, the uh, more core 7A and 504 loan programs. Okay. What... Um I think you you touched on the process for the uh, 7A loans um, or just the loans. Can you uh, give a brief overview on the, the process for the 7A loans under the proposed economic stimulus bill? So here's what I can say. Um, there are really two channels that funding is going to occur um, through with SBA support. The first is this direct loan program, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, and that's available through the portal that we've been talking about, and that's been the focus of my conversation so far today. Right now, you can go to your conventional lender, your traditional bank, credit union, or other lender that you're accustomed to working with and ask them for lending. They may use a 7A loan pro- program to support their lending to you right now, and they may do that on a bridge loan that's intended to be refinanced with, with more permanent financing later after the crisis, or they may make it just a traditional conventional loan to you, and that frankly may still be the best deal for you. Some of the other proposed um, programs that, that, that we're hoping to come um, roll out later will also come through banks, credit unions, and other mission-focused lenders, and not directly from the SBA. So it'll be those same lenders that are going to be able to offer whatever enhanced uh, programs are coming. Um, so I would ask you to stay tuned. When those are rolled out, we're going to train our lenders on how to use those programs. Um, and when, when, when those lenders are trained up on how to use those programs, they'll be able to um, offer you those those terms. And if, if I might just amplify what Eric said there, um, it, talk to your lender, your current lender, doesn't matter whether it's just a current line line you have, a, a credit line, or some type of financing vehicle, or even just a checking banking account, right? I mean, your current lender, if they participate in, in one of these programs like the 7A, which existed before all of this COVID-19 pandemic, um, they'll know. So talk to your current lender because that's the that's the first place to start. And if the lender doesn't participate in SBA programs, well, I'm sure they can reach out to Eric to figure out how they can participate. And then second, they uh, uh, you as the, the borrower can go to the SBA's lender match website which is essentially like a, a dating service for borrowers and bankers um, in SBA-backed loans. So um, there, there's a link for Lender Match um, on our website. You can just Google SBA Lender Match and find it. Um, but regardless of whether it's available now as of today at this moment or whether it's available at some time in the future based on some economic stimulus bill, the starting point on on this kind of stuff is your current lender. The starting point for your economic injury disaster loan that would be the SBA. They lend that money directly. 
Um, but for 7A loans, 504s, or anything that's kind of coming down the pike, talk to your lender. You should be talking to them anyway because they may be more than willing to work with you on, on deferment of payments or um, uh, forbearance or even a new financing uh, a vehicle to help you get through this. So talk to your current lender. Yeah, and one of the follow-up questions regarding that had to do with would the loan go faster if the lender is a preferred lender? So this is Eric. I, I can speak to that. The, the short answer is usually yes. Um, what a preferred lender is is a lender that has demonstrated a certain aptitude or a certain level of competence in um, underwriting and approving SBA guaranteed loans. So we allow them um, with oversight to operate um, independently or with delegated authority where they can do their own approval and offer an SBA guaranteed product without SBA's full review. So typically that is a faster process than, than the under the loan being underwritten by the lender and then them submitting it for the SBA to also um, co-review. So the preferred lender program or POP lender program lenders typically can uh, turn around a loan application faster. Okay. Um, what is the estimated time when disaster loans will be ready to fund if approved? So, um, Again, this is Eric. With respect solely to the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, the, the disaster loans that are available right now that you can apply for right now, the historical turnaround time has been, has been between 21 and 30 days. Now, as of yesterday at about 10.30 p.m., the Office of Disaster Assistance is um, reaffirming that that is their expected turnaround time between application and disbursement of funds. Um, so that's, that's really the best estimate I can give you on that at this point. Okay. So are regular payments to contractors for maintenance and repairs of actively managed real estate businesses eligible for this loan forgiveness under the proposed uh, legislation? So under the proposed legislation, that's yet to be determined under the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. Um, the answer would be if it's a um, real estate investment, yes. If it's uh, property development, probably not. So if it's new development, that those are typically not eligible. But if it's existing um, real estate that is, you know, like apartments or, or other non-unoccupied real estate that the landlord is managing, that landlord can apply for um, assistance to the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program um, and be um, supported in making regular payments to their, their ongoing um, accounts payable. Okay. Should I be getting an SBA loan and also a grant from FSSA or just one? That's a fantastic question. Uh, so, so I would encourage you again to apply for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program if you're if you're a business owner. We don't know exactly what the full breadth and depth and the scope of the response is going to be from not just the SBA but from the consolidated um, federal, state, and local governments. There are a number of proposed programs underway, not just at the federal level but at the state level and at the local level all across our country. Um, what's going to be the best fit for your particular need? I, I it would not speculate on. I would say that it makes sense to, to avail yourself of the resources that you know are available now, understanding that you may have a better opportunity down the road. Yeah. And I, I would also say, um, as it relates to the economic injury disaster loan, just to reiterate what Eric said earlier, uh, you don't have to take this loan. So, I mean, I think, 
Uh, if you go through the process, which I agree with Eric, go through the process, sit in the, submit the application because then it will be a tool in your toolbox if you need it. Um, see what you can get approved for because it, 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 it may be the case that something you, you don't anticipate in the next couple of weeks, I sound familiar, we've not anticipated a lot over the last couple of weeks, um, may come to pass that would, that would make this an option where you would have wished that you had applied two weeks ago. Um, and so uh, I think for, I mean, it, there's no cost to apply other than your time. Um, and you don't have to take the loan if you're approved for it, or you can take less than what you're approved for. Um, and so I think that's, that's an important point. The other point I would make too is um, talk to your local uh, units of government and economic development organizations, because right now, um, there are a lot of local groups, counties, uh, economic development organizations, Main Street organizations, chambers that are rolling out uh, or have already rolled out um, new and innovative programs to help the small businesses in, the, in their county. So I'll give an example. Grant County has repurposed their revolving loan fund. Um, from USDA to uh, give out a small, I mean, we're talking, you know, $7,500, so under $10,000 um, to help small businesses uh, get through this, this time of worry. But, you know, I would say, can look at it as a toolbox. There are a lot of different tools in the toolbox. Some things are better for, for um, certain expenses. Some things will be needed for others, but um, this is one and any additional programs that come out will be others. And, and, and so that's from a business point of view, have diversity. Don't be relying on one um, financing vehicle to save your business. Can a startup business, um, this is projected to open at the end of March, get aid or a loan? Um, this is Eric again. So the answer is probably um, essentially what the requirement is, is that the business was formed prior to the uh, disaster declaration um, and have some fixed expenses. So in other words, if it's conceptual and you've filed and created the business, but you've had no fixed expenses, no AP, no commitments essentially for ongoing expenses, that's going to be a little tougher to get approved for. But if you form the business um, and have signed a lease and have you know agreed to hire people or, or agreed to buy products, that you either have taken delivery of and have paid for yet or, or haven't even taken delivery of yet but committed to buying, then the, the answer is probably yes. Okay. Uh, what funding that's not a loan is available if we need to shut down temporarily? I can, this is David, I can take a first stab at that. Um, really the, the only thing that's available at the moment uh, that's not a loan uh, would be a local program. Um, and uh, some of those are grant programs. Most of them are also loan programs. Um, so it, it, as it relates to your business, now, obviously, if you shut down temporarily and you have uh, workers who need assistance, um, then we have certainly uh, state unemployment. You would work with the Indiana Department of uh, uh, Workforce Development, and they've been doing a lot to uh, try and, you know, normally uh, in Indiana, we've got a one week waiting period before somebody can claim unemployment. Um, they've uh, we're working or have already waived that requirement so that people can um, file for unemployment as soon as possible. Um, but at the moment, uh, the the only uh, programs, funding programs that I'm available, that, that I'm aware of, 
um, that are not alone would be something at the local level. And we've got 92 counties um, in the state, a state of Indiana. So it, it would be best to go talk to your um, county chamber or economic development organization. I don't know if, if um, out, outside of that, we're talking crowdfunding um, or, you know, like Facebook is supposedly um, giving away uh, several million dollars, um, you know, in, in grants, you can uh, try applying for one of those. And I, I saw uh, GoFundMe also has a um, has a, a micro loan or micro grant available. Yeah, so I, yeah. I've seen that one as well. And yeah. uh, if you're in Indianapolis, for example, I know that uh, the uh, uh, LISC Indy, which is a, a, a local um, organization focused on kind of community development, they've partnered with a online, um, uh, I don't want to call it a crowdfunding, but it's essentially like a quasi crowdfunding lender, um, but it's uh, uh, Kiba. K-I-V-A, um, and that's that's through Lisk India if you're located in the central Indiana uh, area. Nice. All right. Uh, what is there to help manage payroll during this time? I think you covered it a little bit. Uh, anything else you want to add regarding payroll, either of you? So this, this is Eric, and, and I would say, again, just to kind of streamline stuff, I think to David's point, it makes sense to check your local resources. There may be something available in your area that, that I'm not familiar with. Um, absent that, I would turn to your lender of choice and ask them to help you provide or help them um, or, gosh, ask them to help you um, provide some short-term working capital so that you can continue to make payroll with the understanding that that short-term funding is going to likely be paid off with some more permanent solution um, after the full response is uh, formed and implemented on, on the part of the government. All right. What are my options if I employ less than 50 people? I think you covered that also, but uh, same answer. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, next slide, if there is. All right. Other questions. So from email. Um, so what is used to determine the monthly average payroll? What or what past period is used to determine the monthly average payroll? This is Eric. Um, to be frank, that's, that's determined by the um, underwriting process that the Office of Disaster Assistance will, will impose. I think it's typically your past six months uh, payroll. We know that there are some businesses that are seasonal, for example, though. So maybe it doesn't make sense to look at the last six months, but maybe it look, makes sense to look at the same period from last year, and that's more representative of what the expectation is. So it's, it's going to change a little bit from, from borrower to borrower, but essentially they're going to look at your historical and, and, and make a determination based on that. Okay. Um, what all is included besides wages? So this is a tricky question, and I would actually defer to my good friend David Watkins to, to maybe speak to this to a, to, to a greater extent. What, what the SBA is trying to measure is the extent of the economic injury to your business. So wages is an obvious one, but there may be lost sales. How to demonstrate that and document that is a little slippery, so you may need some technical assistance to get that done. The SBDC is a great place to get that resource. Yeah, I mean, and, and so that would, I mean, it does uh, uh, go uh, far beyond that. I mean, even all the way down to, you know, um, we've got small businesses that, you know, they sell to uh, school districts, right? I mean, they're a food, food provider to a school district. School districts are closed. Um, so we're using, say, the school district uh, announcements of their closures to justify the economic injury. Um, you know, so as Eric pointed out, the economic injury disaster loan can go for a lot like um, payroll, AP, 
any uh, fixed debts, that kind of thing. And so um, being able to show that loss or that economic injury, um, you know, maybe if you're if you're a, a, a retailer, it's, you know, the number of people that have visited your store. If you're a manufacturer, it's the number of um, employees who have uh, had to stay home because their kids are home from school or uh, because they're not feeling well. So there can be a number of different avenues to explore exactly what that that injury is and and help SBA, you know, understand what what size of loan you would possibly need. Yeah, I, I received a, a question regarding regarding that regarding business valuation. That is, is there going to be what is how are you going to quantify the injury? You're not going to require any kind of uh, pre and post valuation work, correct? Typically not, Ed. I yeah. mean, okay. in terms of business valuation, we're not necessarily looking at the total enterprise value um, for, for the purposes of disaster assistance, we're really looking at the economic injury based on lost sales or lost revenue um, or other sort of fixed expenses in the absence of revenue that a business might experience, not so much the overall enterprise value. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and so then, then it becomes helpful though, to have comparative, to do some comparative analysis. Hey, in March of last year, my business made this much. And in March of this year, I'm projecting um, that it will make this much or uh, in April, I had, uh, you know, 12, uh, events booked at my, uh, at my, uh, event venue and now I have zero and, you know, having that comparative analysis so that the SBA loan officer with the disaster assistance office can, can see that themselves yeah. and understand what it is that, that has been lost. That's really what they're looking for. Yeah. That, that, that was along the same lines of what I, I said. I mean, I, I can't envision that anybody would require that, but, but nevertheless, I thought I would ask, um, what happens if additional funds are af- after this initial wave of loans come through, what happens if there's additional funding that's required? That's a fantastic question. So we, we don't have 100% transparency on, on, on how this is going to unfold. What I can tell you is every consideration that's going to be made to assist small businesses as we move through this crisis. So we're, we're phasing in solutions. Um, no, frankly, we're, we're phasing in the solutions that we have available right now, and, and we're building new tools to help address the need as it, as it evolves and develops. We've come to understand how we can be most impactful. Um, there was There's going to be consideration given to or, or examined as um, we, we look at aid that's already been assisted with or, or aid that's already been given compared to new programs. I think the intent here is to be, you know, kind of err on the side of being generous in, in the sense of providing a, the full breadth and scope of relief that's going to become available later. Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, though, specific to the economic injury disaster loan. Um, if, say, I initially apply and uh, work with the SBA to get a, a loan at a value of a million dollars, um, and this thing kind of keeps going on and we're still closed and I realize that I need an extra $200,000. Can I go back to the SBA disaster office and get an increase on that? You know what, David, that, that's a great point and you're absolutely right. So, so yes, you can absolutely go back and, and request an increase um, with substantiation. So if you're approved for say a million dollars today, based on your, your documentable economic injury, this thing drags on further than we expected to, and down the road you realize that another two hundred thousand dollars in additional funding not available through conventional lenders is, is going to be required. And absolutely, go back and ask for an increase on that economic injury disaster loan. All right. Um, let's see. Back to the email. 
Uh, my understanding is this is via banks in the SBA programs. Is that correct? I I, I don't I don't I think you said that it was. Uh, you you have preferred lenders as well. You should go to your lenders as well as as directly to the SBA. Correct. Yep. So let me, let me restate. So there's, there are actually two vectors or two channels, two ways to approach this economic injury um, or the support of the economic um, disaster um, recovery. Um, one is, yes, through your conventional lenders. They are, for the most part, awaiting pending legislation to, to take advantage of some of the proposed enhancements to SBA lending. Um, so although we, we are encouraging our lenders to make bridge financing for the immediate needs, so if you need to make payroll tomorrow and you don't have the cash, your lender should be able to help you with interim financing to help you meet that immediate need. That's not going to be part of the longer-term um, SBA-supported solution to, to get to the recovery of this economic crisis. Um, so it's short-term financing for your traditional lenders. There is long-term economic injury disaster loan funding available directly from the SBA right now. And the reason for that, frankly, is that that's the tool we had in our toolbox when this unfolded. We're having to develop new tools to respond to this um, unprecedented event. Okay. The, these next few questions are related to forgiveness. Do you want to look into the crystal crystal ball or do you want me to move on to, to other questions? I I am not going to speculate on loan forgiveness. I suspect that that some shape, form or fashion of loan forgiveness is going to be part of the um, final legislation that's enacted. Um, I understand that there's a, uh, this concept of having, you know, some portion of funding be a grant right now. And then some portion of funding be, um, some portion of your overall funding package be a forgivable loan, provided that those two aspects are used to support payroll. That is speculation at this point, not enacted. I expect that there will be some form of that, but we can't say exactly what shape that's going to take at this point. But uh, as far as application, it should be it it should be made if as soon as it's available, you should be applying for it. Correct? It's going to be a big line. You want to get in it? Yep, I get it. Um. Okay, we can't answer that. All right, let's move over to over to the chat. Um, any consideration for newer startups that had limited payroll in 2019? I think you said go ahead and and apply that uh, that yep. it would qualify. Apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apply. Uh, David, well, why don't you speak to how you're what you're doing to help them have more projections to, to show what the economic injury is in the case of payroll is not yet booked. Yeah, yeah. So uh, explicitly, actually, we've been on uh, calls with the disaster office that that they're encouraging startups from late 2019 or even early 2020 um, to go ahead and apply. Again, you know, once you get with the loan officer there and and this is where the projections become really, really key. Right. I mean, uh, there may not be a comparative period. Right. So we can't go from March 2020 to look at March 2019 Um, or there may not be six months worth of sales to say, okay, you average this much, this much a month. April should have been X. Um, And so that's where it really becomes key to have well documented. um, Here were the the, here were the contracts we had. Right. Or here were the uh, sales we anticipated. Um, here are the the customers who have shut down um, because of this uh, pandemic and to be able to uh, walk the loan officer through that process um, it, you know we can't obviously I, I, I can't make any promises on what an individual loan officer will do or what the SBA disaster office will do um, but they have been explicit in encouraging startups um, to go ahead and apply understanding that 
you, you're going to have they're going to be relying on your projections, which essentially comes down to your ability to d- demonstrate injury and your ability to demonstrate um, that you can repay the loan at a later date. Right. So that's what ultimately what it's going to come down to. OK, uh, next question is, I sent an online application through the SBA through their email. Do I need to send it also through the mail? Uh, the short answer is no. So if you, if you, if you have applied online or via um, emailing the disaster loan center, a hard copy mail version is not going to be required. I'm not really the initial application. I say that with this qualifier, if they're asking for additional documentation, um, let's say it's a tax return and it's a, you know, we have a really big tax return. You may need to consider, um, mailing that, um, simply because document upload size, um, I think has been improved significantly, but maybe limited depending on your specific case. Okay. Um, Mandy asks, and and this is a big one. Uh, we have 17 applications started and are extremely close to being completed. We are unable to log back into our account. Do we need to start over and paper apply or will the, will we be able to log back into our account? So, um, listen, I'm going to be perfectly frank. I don't know the answer to that question. I am aware that essentially the, the original, web portal, web application portal, frankly, became overwhelmed with the, with the, the amount of volume uh, that it was experiencing. Um, and, and we realized, um, by we, I mean, organizationally realized we didn't have sufficient resources and a process that would accommodate the, the volume of applications that we have. We are told that they're going to be able to relaunch the original portal and should be able to reaccess those applications at some point in the future. That's not today. And then when that's going to be, I can't tell you. If I were in that position, and I, I know this is not the answer anybody wants to hear, but if I were in that position and I was concerned about getting myself into this line to get funding, I would go back to the new portal um, and do the, the fillable PDFs and upload those to the new, new portal. Um, again, there's no cost. Um, there, there, there's some duplication of effort, and I recognize that. Um, but I think um, given the option of, of waiting to see what solution our IT folks come up with or reapplying, I would personally reapply under the new process. And while you start that, I would also say go ahead and call the Disaster Assistance Office a phone number that Eric has in his slides. Again, long wait time, but if you're sitting there going through some of these application materials, again, go ahead and just hop on the phone. I have had, we have had clients get through and actually talk to a person at that office and, you know, and given the situation, an understandably reasonable amount of time. Okay. Uh, these next two, uh, Lindsay and Vic. So um, this is regarding the the slide deck and Eric talking too fast and Lindsay not being able to hear Eric. Um, so again, we will make this slide deck available. The webinar in, in its entirety is being recorded in two two separate places. So you, the video, the, everything that you're hearing is going to be uh, uh, the webinar in its entirety will be uploaded and available. Uh, as well, it, it will be um, the audio will be on our podcast, Defenders of Business Value. So if you missed anything, don't sweat it. Um, uh, we'll do that as well as uh, we probably can get this transcribed for you if, if you need it. All right. Next question. Do I apply locally in my city? Uh, the address uh, to send the application is in Texas. Is that correct? Even though I live in Indiana. So, so the preferred method of application is actually electronically through the web portal. 
if you're going to mail in a paper application, the correct place to submit that is that address in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, what form is used for the sole proprietor? That is form 5C, 5 Charlie. All right. Um, let's see. Next question is, can you address how the loan amounts will be determined? In very general terms, they're going to look at your historical cash flow and make a determination uh, based on that. Okay, next question. Kevin, yes, the slide deck will be available as well as um, video and audio. All right, um, next question. Are you going to go through uh, title insurers to file a lien on the hot- on hotels? How long will that take? So that's a thorny question. The reality is at this point, I believe um, that the Office of Disaster Assistance is actually sending the title work directly to the applicant and requiring that they file on their own. I know that's complicated given that many county governments are uh, currently suspended or working remotely. Um, That can complicate the issue. I can tell you that they're making full accommodation in terms of the timing of those filings. So as long as you're operating in good faith and making good faith efforts to file all the security agreements that you agree to as part of your loan acceptance, um, you're going to be in A-OK shape. Okay. Uh, same hotel. Uh, if a hotel has a CMBS loan, I'm unfamiliar with that one, uh, which uh, precludes additional liens, does that disqualify all hotels with CMBS loans? So commercial mortgage-backed security oh, um, loans are, 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 a little, are a little tricky. Um, typically, those actually can bring into consideration uh, the notion of affiliation. Um, sometimes those are considered to be direct investments on the part of the issuer of the CMBS. Um, so I would encourage you to apply, um, and that the determination is going to be made on a case by case by case basis. Can't make a blank and statement about that. All right, uh, Eric made it sound like the SBA assesses how much business gets, how much a business gets for the EIDL. David seems to imply that the business can provide input. Uh, can you provide some clarification? Yes, the SBA is going to determine your loan amount based on your input. Um, essentially, we're going to look oh. at your historical cash flow plus any projections, and um, we're going to offer you a loan amount based on what your historical cash flow plus any projections would reflect. It's completely. It's based on what you submit. So um, it's it's both. Okay, I'm, you guys might have to fill in the pieces for this. Um, the next question is, do you have to be in operation for a year per form P019? Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure that I know what form P019 is, um, but, but no, generally, you don't have to be in business for a year. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see, Helen. Yes, we're going to be sending, um, audio and video. Um, will the loans be dispersed in full or treated like a line of credit or a construction loan? So this is Eric. Generally speaking, um, funding happens in, in either one or two phases. So up to $500,000, 
um, the Austrian disaster assistance is doing sort of a, a truncated or a streamlined underwriting process up to that credit limit. So if your loan is that size or lower, that's going to be your full disbursement. And essentially it's going to happen in one disbursement. If your loan request um, is approved for greater than $500,000, that first tranche of $500,000 will be underwritten first and typically dispersed first. Um, any amount over that is going to have a more thorough underwriting and will be dispersed in a second disbursement later. So, so $500,000 or less, typically one disbursement. Larger than $500,000, typically do two disbursements. And again, you can come back for an increase later. Um, but the more direct question with regard to line of credit is no. It'll be a term loan, not a revolving line of credit. Okay. The next question is, is uh, is $50 billion the amount approved for the EIDL now before any new bills pass? If so, isn't it likely going to run out before all are covered? Um, yes, that's the amount that's approved now. Um, it's likely, well, it's not just likely, it's highly likely we're, we're going to have additional funding to support the EIDL. Um, it is conceivable that, that funding would run out on that, on the, on the current allocation or appropriation, but I suspect that everybody's got an eye on keeping levels um, at a sustainable point. All right. Thank you. Um, next question is, under the new Paycheck Protection Program, you are precluded from this new program if you receive funds from the disaster loan for payroll purpose. What happens if a taxpayer receives funds from the Paycheck Protection Program and wants to later file for the disaster loan? Is there a period of time that must elapse before you are eligible for the other program? It's not yet been determined. Okay. Assuming a owner receives financial relief for payroll, uh, how does he or she uh, receive income that would normally come in the form of distributions or would the owner uh, be in the payroll subsidy? So typically disbursements or routine disbursements anyway are taken into consideration when, when examining the extent of the economic injury. So similar to looking at the average payroll, they're going to look at the average disbursements and take that into consideration um, when, can, when underwriting the loan and determining the loan size. Okay. Uh, I'm a CPA and I want to help clients prepare their applications, but I, I don't want to charge them uh, or have them pay if they don't qualify. Uh, but I know there is no contingency provision. Can cost for preparing financials, tax returns, et cetera, be separated under the cost uh, to just fill out the application so I could not charge for those services if they can't afford it? There's an SBA form 159D Delta that service providers can use to document the fees that they're charging. And as long as they're reasonable, uh, typically SBA won't examine those. And, and you know, there's, there, there are some flexibility on this. Um, the, the ask here is that you be considerate when, when, when charging fees to clients for helping them with their application package. Um, but, but the maximum amount that's allowable without increased scrutiny is about $2,500 per application. Okay. Um, let's see. All right. On the disaster relief loan question, uh, they're asking for what, what lost rents we lease space and that's not what they're asking for. We see no place. They want to know what obligations for monthly lease payments we owe. That's absolutely part of the lease or the question of the liability schedule. Lease payments are absolutely part of that. 
schedule liabilities form. Uh, the, Eric's got the number in the slide deck. Got it. All right. I own two small taverns. They make, uh, they make tips. How will I know the appropriate wage to give employees such as, are we only allowed to give them minimum wage or will it be based on the norm on what they normally make with tips? David, you want to take that one? I can give it a go. As it relates <laughs> to any new uh, legislation, unknown, unknown at this time. I know that there are provisions that, that Congress is talking about as it relates to uh, uh, the new programs that they're, that they're exploring with payroll forgiveness um, but again, that's uh, worth nothing right now. It's worth less than the paper it's written on. Um, as it relates to the economic injury disaster loan, um, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but you can include that in your um, uh, schedule of essentially liabilities, but the, the loan proceeds can be used to cover payroll. Correct. I guess what I was getting at, I think you could probably work with a client as they determine what the total compensation for their um, employees lost is both wages. Yes, but also tips. Correct. Yes. Both, both are certainly included in that calculation. Um, yeah, absolutely. So as it relates to the economic injury disaster loan, um, those loan proceeds can be used to cover payroll, that payroll calculation. Um, as we work with you on, uh, if you work with the SBDC on that, with your uh, uh, projections and, and um, understanding the uses of the loan, uh, tips can become a part of that. Okay, next question. Uh, what will be forgivable? I know that's kind of a loaded question right now. But, um, any hi- hypothetical? Nope. <laughs> Just wanted woman wanted to see if you'd bite. Um, if someone who uh, just purchased their business this year, will there be any hurdles in document in documenting historical financials or time in business, assuming they still have sellers' financials and payroll records? So again, SBA is going to carefully examine the historical performance of the business, plus any reasonably assembled financial projections. I would actually strongly encourage a new business that is you know, operating with the understanding that they're going to match or exceed the historical performance based on a previous ownership. I would encourage you to meet with the SBDC to develop projections that are reasonable and fit what you expected to have occurred had this uh, outbreak not happened. Yeah, and and for and for any of the clients that we've that we've worked with, obviously we keep we keep uh, historical um, data on the companies we sell. So certainly reach out to us, and and we'll give you whatever we have in order to to help the process along. Um, the next question: uh, Any indication for timeline for processing disaster loan applications, or do you have any idea how many are already in queue? So again, the historical average turnaround time is somewhere between 21 and 30 days. The Office of Disaster Assistance, as of last night, has uh, reaffirmed that that's what they expect their, their typical turnaround time to be. Um, in terms of the total loan applications and process, no, I don't have a number, but I can tell you that it's enough to crash a website that was built to handle very high traffic. Got it. The next question, um, uh, 7A versus 7B, uh, relief loan versus SBA. I don't know what the question is, but other than clarification. So they're definitely, again, there's going to be two channels. Um, there's the SBA direct loan program, the economic injury disaster loan program, which you should apply for right now. There are, there continue to be 
um, SBA 7A and 504 loans available through traditional banks, credit unions, and lenders. And there are a lot of lenders that are actively working with their uh, borrowers and their clients, not just to defer payments on existing credit, but to extend additional credit or new credit to help them meet their, their current needs. So it makes sense to start having a conversation with your lender now. And not one of these solutions is the answer. There's going to be a multi-phase, multi-pronged solution to this economic injury. And we're all going to have to kind of contribute to this um, where we can and the, the, to the greatest extent that we can. Okay. Uh, if, you were, if you were in the process, should you use that number on your current application or on the disaster relief application? So again, those are two different channels. If you had a conventional 7A or 504 loan application in process pre-crisis, that application is still in process. And again, you should communicate with your lender to see kind of where you are on that. Um, if you've also applied for an economic injury disaster loan directly from the SBA, that's going to be a completely different pool of capital and a completely different application and process. So, um, again, those this two are not interchangeable. Okay. Uh, some clarification on the uh, couple questions back. I read online that the CARES Act uh, is not the same as the 7B SBA EIDL loan program that is already available online on the SBA website. What is the difference if I go through the bank or both? So to reiterate, um, there's going to be two different solutions available. Actually, if I'm calm, but there's going to be more than two different solutions available. Um, what's, what's in place now is the SBA Direct Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. That's the 7B program that the, that the writer or caller is referring to. Um, that is absolutely available right now. You should apply. Um, the 7A program is a core SBA loan support program that's, that was in place pre-crisis. It's being considered for enhancement under the CARES Act now. Um, so that'll still probably be called the 7A loan program, but it will be enhanced to meet some of the criteria that's being proposed in the CARES Act. We don't know exactly what shape it's going to take, but whatever shape that takes is definitely going to be um, delivered through our conventional banks, credit unions, and, and other mission-focused lenders. So two completely different channels, one direct from SBA with the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, and then there's the 7A program, and actually there's other programs out there as well that'll come from banks, credit unions, and mission-focused lenders. My recommendation would be exactly like Eric's, which is apply for the economic injury disaster loan now, because that's what's available. And then also start the conversation with your lender um, about what other options are out there or could be out there, say, next week or the week after the week after that. Um, but yeah, start having those those conversations now and working with your existing lender or finding one that does um, SBA-backed loans would probably be the best way to prepare for two reasons. One, the uh, 7A program already exists. The 504 program already exists. If you don't have an SBA lender, you can go find one that already operates in those programs pre-crisis, as, as Eric mentioned. And Hey, Ed, this is Eric. Yeah. I can no longer hear audio from David. Are we still connected? <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I, I'm in the same camp. I um, I was just looking to see if it was on my end or his. It appears on his. So we'll, okay. we'll let just him. to make sure. Yep, we'll let him uh, dial back in. Um, okay. Uh, 
why don't we move into the next? I only have a couple more questions. Uh, how much is uh, proposed uh, that's available under the, the disaster injury program right now nationwide? Yep. So, so right now under the currently available economic injury disaster loan program, each borrower plus all their affiliates is eligible for up to $2 million in funding through that program alone. And that will not affect your ability to receive additional funding through either the conventional seven day program as it exists now or whatever enhanced program gets rolled out once the CARES Act actually is enacted. Got it. And it looks like we got uh, David back. Welcome back. Thanks. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we're good now. Um, I have. Did you want to? No fit, clue what happened. You no. It's all right. It's uh, we're all in the same camp. Um, what, what was the What was the last thing you heard? Most of it. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. All I was saying was just it, I, there's a we're getting a lot of questions, and I know the SBA and Eric um, specifically, but all of his colleagues are limited in what they can talk about as it relates to proposal. It's a sl- legislation. I'm somewhat less limited um, uh, than than Eric is, but even then, I, I'm not in a position to promise things or, or give definitive advice based on proposal legislation. We've got you know uh, hundreds of members of the House of Representatives who still get to have their say on this piece of legislation. Um, but I would say, if you're a, if you're a small business, the economic injury disaster loan is available today, right now. Apply. Not going to take you that much time. Go ahead and do that and apply. Anything that comes down the pike is going to come with an understanding that millions of small businesses have probably already applied for the economic injury disaster loan program. If it's, if it's an enhancement to an existing SBA uh, program like the 7A, then make sure you're having conversations with your lender now about whether they do 7A loans. If they don't, um, go, go to the uh, SBA's website called Lender Match and find a 7A banker and start that relationship now so that if in a week or two weeks or three weeks there are new enhancements to the 7A program, you've already done that groundwork to have that relationship built to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to go after this. Um, we've got a relationship and we can, we can do that now. That would be my advice. If, if I had my own small business right now, that's what I would be doing. Yeah. And, and I would add to that, that, you know, we have relationships with, with all of the preferred lenders um, within the community. And if uh, we can be a resource to you, certainly reach out to us. We're, we're happy to refer you to, to the folks that, that we've worked with over the years. Um, all right. The last question is: Would you be able to provide examples of how, of uh, of how amount, how the amount of injury loan amount should be presented to the SBA officer? Would all right? Uh, yeah, it's a little broken, but yeah, you get you get the gist. And then, then then the loan officer, how much authority do they have to, uh, or latitude do they have to make the loan amount decision? I can maybe talk to the first part and then maybe Eric can talk to the second part on the first part. The guidance that we've received is essentially uh, this, the definition of this, this, and I don't mean to get kind of governmental on it, but I think it helps understand how SBA is approaching this. Um, The disaster started January 31st, 2020. Um, The end date of this disaster is quote unquote ongoing. Um, That's highly unusual. Normally, we talk about a tornado. The tornado came through at this time on this day, and it went out on this time on this day, and the economic injury lasted X, Y, Z. It's set, right? Um, This is is ongoing. So the guidance that we've received, the the latest guidance I had from the SBA disaster office um, is essentially – 
uh, February actuals, March actuals, or close to March actuals. I mean, we're March 27th. You should have a pretty good idea of where you're going to fall for March. And then uh, April, May, and June projected. Um, and then documentation to support that. So if you're if you're if you're saying, um, hey, last April we did, you know, just I'll use a, a hotel perhaps would be easiest. Last April we had this much um, in terms of uh, occupancy. Uh, in April, we project this month because, um, and then show the documentation. Gatherings of this number of people have been canceled. This number of weddings have been canceled. Here's the here's the emails. Um, our local state government gave a shelter in place order. Um, these are not essential business. Have that documentation ready to go with your projections to justify why you're saying, hey, in April, May, and June, uh, we're not going to make any money or it, it, whatever that projection is. Um, so, that, and maybe Eric can talk about the the authority of the loan officer. Well, I, I came to a limited extent. What I can tell you is, uh, number one, um, the Office of Disaster Assistance, as they underwrite economic injury disaster loans, they, they follow basic formulas. Now, they won't disclose, even to us internal partners, exactly what their formulas are. Um, but it's probably going to be something like, well, your you know gross proceeds or your gross profit from last year divided by 12 times however many months we think we're going to have this economic injury in place. Now, that's my speculation. It's going to be something like that. They're going to make some reasonable um, basis for the economic injury um, based solely on your, your past revenue and or um, some reasonable projections that, that are developed and submitted along with your application. So exactly what form they're going to use, I don't know. It's going to definitely be based on history plus any projections. They're going to have to kind of justify anything that varies too much from whatever formula that they're, that they're authorized to use. Um, they're going to have some authority to, to flex on that, provided that the borrower has the ability to demonstrate that, hey, you approved me for X amount, but I have this documentation that shows that really it should be X plus. And the reason that I'm having the plus is because of these reasons. And it might be because like this, this is seasonal and I'm coming into the busy season or that, you know, my particular industry is more hard hit than some other industries. But they'll, they will have some justification to, to deviate from whatever formula they're following. Okay. Um, two more questions after the two more questions I just said. Um, from email, uh, where do we go on the SBA site to learn the status of our application? So right now, the, the application status portal, might, well, I have to be careful. As of 6 o'clock this morning, it was not functioning properly. So your best recourse is to call the Disaster Loan Customer Service Center and ask them for the, the, the status of your loan. I recognize that there's a long queue to talk to a human being at the Disaster Loan Customer Service Center. But here locally, we don't have access to the, to the application queue. Uh, moreover, I know for sure that they're working to reinforce um, the, the portal, both, both the application portal and the application status portal, um, to ensure that they're more robust and able to handle a higher volume of traffic. When that's going to be resolved, I can't tell you, but I can tell you that um, everybody's working as hard as they can to, to get that restored. Okay. Our last questions, uh, I'm, I'm trying to determine whether it's more comment than question, but I'll let it rip and you guys can uh, take it from there. Um, the additional liabilities form um, for the economic relief app is not part of the personal financial statement. It is confusing because we printed out all of the forms to do on that paper after losing our, our application in process before the, before the crash. That number is what I was wondering if we should use on our paper application. Uh, second, there is no place to show the business income on the personal financial statement. So should that lease debt be on that liability sheet uh, 
to be added. Thank you. So it sounds like a pretty application specific question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the short answer is no, your, your business income should be reported as part of your um, business income. Your PFS is personal financial statements should be listed there. Your list of liabilities should be definitely on your schedule of liabilities. If you have an application number from your previously electronically submitted application, you can provide it. Great. If you can't, I wouldn't sweat that. Get your application in. Ultimately, their system is going to catch the employee identification number and social security numbers associated with both applications and should be able to reconcile those internally. Um, obviously, it makes it faster and easier if they have the application number to refer to. But, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't sweat that too much. In terms of the application um, documentation, here's what I would say. Try, try to keep the business aspect of it separate from your personal aspect. So PFS is personal and then anything else goes on a different form. Now, I can also tell you it's a human being that's going to review this. So if you don't know exactly where to put something, don't, don't sweat it. You're going to have a conversation with the loan officer. You may have to explain exactly what, what you're trying to get at, fill it out to the greatest extent or the greatest possibility you can, and, and then get it submitted. I think that that's maybe the more important part. We can hash out the details when the loan officer calls you. Okay. Um, David, you got any, anything you want to add? Sounds good to me. All right. Any, uh, any, I, I don't have any, uh, I'm just checking the email as well as the chat. It, it appears that all of our questions have been answered. Uh, do either of you two have any, any final thoughts before we, we let you get back to doing what you do? I, I just, say, and, oh, go ahead, David. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, uh, you know, we, we've obviously things are changing every single day and our SBA office here locally in Indiana is doing an outstanding job um, connecting people with their disaster office, which is, you know, not here in Indiana. Um, and, you know, at the Indiana Small Business Development Center and the Economic Development Corporation, um, you know, we have been trying our best to get the most timely and accurate information out to small businesses as possible. So, um, you know, if you have a question, uh, reach out if it's an application specific question about the economic injury disaster loan. It's not something that we can easily answer other than broad guidelines. Um, but as much as we're able, we're trying to get accurate and, and, and actionable information out to as many people as possible. So I'd say uh, just stay tuned because it sounds like there's going to be a lot of changes coming down the pike. Eric. I had this whole prepared statement, but um, I'm just going <laughs> to say ditto. Yeah. Well, um, I hope once the dust settles after this, you'll come back on because I'm based on the number of people that uh, had the opportunity to hear this. I'm certain we're going to have more questions. So uh, with any luck, the two of you will come back and uh, visit with us. Yes, sir. Great. Love to. Well, you know, truly on, on behalf of all these people that, uh, that stayed this hour and a half, uh, listening to you guys, you know, we're so grateful for the, for the time you spent with us and, and hopefully clarified and, and moved, moved business owners that are hurting so bad to, uh, just try to stay in business that you, you moved us at least down the road to, to, to fight another day. So thank you all for, for being with us. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, the webinar will be, is recorded and is, uh, will be 
available on our on our website and chill and shield meaning chelsea our marketing director will send that out to everyone that was in attendance as well as everyone in our database it will also be posted onto our defenders of business value podcast so that concludes this webinar if you have any questions for any of us um, the slide deck also will be available. You see the emails and, and contact information for all three of us. Certainly don't hesitate to reach out and we'll get you into the right to the right place. Thanks so much and have a great day. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.